Okay, you guys, let's do this. It's gonna be so professional. Like, so professional. Here we go. Welcome to the Lab Support Podcast with your host Michelle Anderson and June Colson, a couple of clean comedians who support each other and others through comedy's wacky and winding roads. I hope you're ready. Kid set, let's go! Since podcasts have a catchy tune, we wrote this song for Michelle and June. Clean comedians are best friends too. Oh, so good. <laughs> and you never know what they'll say or do. Here we go, sing with me. I'm going support, or, or, with Michelle, who's really short. We'll have a ball, 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 with June, who's really tall. They have fun, 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 interviewing comedians. I'm going support, or, or, with Michelle, who's really short. Welcome to the award-winning Laugh Support Podcast. I'm your host, June Colson, here with my best friend, Michelle, with one L, Trisha's sister, Rhonda Colson, Corey's friend, the Michelle Van Dusen. Michelle, season three, we're keeping the song. Yes, we're keeping the song, and at some point, I'll swap out the pictures. I'm just uh, technically challenged right now. So, what? what? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm so glad it's it's back for this season, though, because there was some debate before we before we uh, ended season two, two that it may or, or may not be here. And as I know, you love the song, and it was written specially for you. So I'm glad it's here. Hey, how is your how is your day starting? Okay, so my day has been a little crazy. Uh, my husband woke me up because I asked him yesterday. He's like, well, why don't you just put an alarm? I'm like, you know, I don't wake up to alarms. If you don't wake me up and make sure I'm co- coherent, I won't get up. And so he uh, he had to like shake me <laughs> to, to wake me. I'm a very heavy sleeper. So like when, when our kids were little and um, they would wake up in the middle of the night crying, he would have to wake me up like the baby needs you like, huh? You know, so then he. <laughs> He would get up, he'd bring the kid to me. And then uh, he's like, I've had it. So he ended up actually putting the crib right next to our bed. And then he just rolled me over there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think that would be a great title for your, uh, you know, autobiography. Michelle Van Dusen, Shake Me to Wake Me. That would be fantastic if, if that's what you named your book. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Roll Me Over. <laughs> yes, or Roll Me Over. But, yeah, look- chapter one, Roll Me Over, maybe. Yeah, if you know, I have a picture of a baby back here. I just wanted to show this is my grandbaby. Um, you know, because I'm not allowed to post pictures and whatever. But oh my today, gosh, you're not allowed to post pictures, but you're gonna you're gonna have her on YouTube in the background of okay. That's right. That's right. Today she's she's our guest, and I moved all the things that you gave me for Christmas up closer so you could see them. Yes, so, I see. Yeah. I see. Oh, we need to. Um, but well, don't don't. <laughs> Honestly, don't give away the goat. That's going to be right by the mic when we introduce our guest. Let me tell you how my day has gone so far. Yeah, what's been happening? I so have my life together. First of all, we pop on the podcast and I realize that only one hand is painted (laughs) because of my attention deficit. I forget what I'm doing. I plan on going back to this, but it may be the end of the week before both hands are painted, right? (laughs) Then after I was done with my daily devotion, Michelle, I stepped on my glasses. I look at them. Look, it's just (gasps) an arm. (laughs) <laughs> and the it's all falling apart. It was going to be so color coordinated. Okay. There's that. And then I lost my makeup bag. I lost oh, my man. makeup bag. So this is what I had to do. I dug all the way back to 1980. Yeah. Girl, it's a caboodle. 
Oh, wow. Do you remember the caboodles? That looks like a sewing kit. I got to be honest. Yeah, it's a caboodle. It's for makeup. They had them in the 80s. I put on makeup from the 80s. Remember last episode when we talked about how Rick Roberts discovered a shellfish allergy yeah. while he was on stage doing a show? Yeah. I'm pretty sure my eyeshadow uh, expired maybe 95. So by the end of the show, if my eyes are swollen shut, you guys just move on without me, okay? Just I just want to say thank you so much for not wearing the blue eyeshadow. That oh, I was so close. Oh man, that, that, and I love the fact you're like, oh, you remember the caboodle? Do you see my face? Do you see how much makeup's on my face? No, no, June, I don't remember the caboodle. That's why I thought it was a sewing kit. You made it through the eighties without wearing makeup. Yeah. How did they not pick you to be a nun? How did you not become the nun that you always wanted to be? It makes no sense at all. And after all of this, let me tell you what my, my daily devotion was about today. Anger management. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, which I needed that yesterday. I feel like I feel like I was doing pretty good though, because I drove my husband for four and a half hours yesterday, and only two times, Michelle, did I consider swerving into the bridge. You know, oh, just physically, ugh. physically, you drove him. Not you drove him crazy. I was no, no, no. I physically him. drove him, and he psychologically drove me crazy about my driving the I whole time. It. So. So now I put him on an airplane and he's flying far, far away because this is what we need to do to, to come back down from it. But listen, okay, enough about me and my weird day and my relationship <laughs> with my amazing husband. We have an amazing guest on the yes, show today. Yes, you yes, reached yes. out and found just one of the most talented comedians out there, Michelle. Tell us all about who we have on the show. Okay, so our guest today, he's a writer, a performer, a singer, a songwriter, a ventriloquist, a comedian, an entertainer, a rock and roller, a blogger, a political observer, author, a puppeteer, a pianist, an entertainer. He basically works in every possible venue for every uh, audience that you can imagine, right? So let's welcome to the Laugh Support Podcast, Romeo Mason! Wait, wait, no, wait, who changed my intro? No, no. Let's welcome Taylor Mason, comedian extraordinaire. Woo! I feel I already feel right at home. I already feel right at home. So Michelle, thank you for that nice intro. Uh, June, I also forgot to do my nails. And, uh, <laughs> and then the caboodle, of course, uh, in the world of ventriloquism, a caboodle is very important because I used to keep my puppets in a caboodle back in the 80s when I was in college. So um, yeah, I, so we've come already come full circle on today's laugh support episode. No way. Are you serious? You really had a caboodle that you, that you no. carried? No, I didn't. I just, <laughs> I, no, to kind of, I was just trying to segue the program. I was just trying to, you know, bring everything, synchronize everything, but that obviously didn't work. So no, but I do know what a caboodle is. I do know what a caboodle is, um, but I've, I've never actually used a caboodle. I just like the name, yeah, caboodle, you know, it can be taken so many ways. So great to be here on Laugh Support with June and Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like I'm already having trust issues with you, Taylor Mason. So, so did you really forget to paint your fingernails? No, I did not. <laughs> I, neither, neither hand has, has been done, but I just, again... In an effort to just kind of sink and get every, you know, so we could bring everything more or less 
have a nice, you know, character arc from beginning to end. Yes. I would start off with that, but obviously we <laughs> You, you didn't do your research on the show, Taylor. You didn't know what you were walking into, my friend. I had no clue. I had no clue. But I'm, I've quickly got the gist of what laugh support is all about. Well, we are so excited that you're on the show today. Um, so it's called Laugh Support, the Laugh Support podcast. And I will tell you the origin of the show is that Michelle Van Dusen was one of the first people there and supportive to me as God sent me on this crazy journey into Christian comedy. And so she has literally been my best friend and my support since day one. And so when we had a friend reach out and ask us to do a podcast on his network, the Hot Breath Comedy Network, we thought, well, what, what do we want to talk about? And so um, Michelle obviously has some amazing comedian friends reached out to you, Taylor. And what we, we start with is just the question about who your life support has been. So when you think back to the beginning, your journey into comedy and entertainment, who comes to mind to you that was there from the beginning as you started your entertainment career? Well, you know, as a person of faith, obviously Christ is, is has been there the whole way. So that that's I guess that's where to start. And then it related to that, you know, I've had great support and laugh support from family and friends all the way through. You can see where um, you know the Lord's thumbprint has pretty much followed me along the path that has taken me from wherever I started to this laugh support podcast. Uh, but a lot, I've, I had great support from family and people who, you know, told me the basics of life, uh, persevere, don't give up, work hard, show up on time, do the job, uh, don't blame others, be coachable, work with others, all that kind of stuff that I guess I take for granted now. Um, I had a lot of a lot of support in the beginning, and I still do. I still have family comes out to see me perform. But now my my network of support is incredibly broad. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously in in the the Christian community, there are there's just so many opportunities that have come my way just based on the fact that I'm a person of faith, and that mm. and I have great faith in my faith. So you combine those mm. two things, and that that lends itself, I think, to being helpful and supporting a career. And then everything else that I, I just talked about, you know, having people tell you those those things that are now ingrained in me, persevere, don't give up, work hard. When the going gets tough, it's tough to get going, all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's all been part of my um, my career and my the makeup of wherever it is that I am today, whatever this is. That's it, it's I owe a great deal of debt and I'm very grateful to many, many, many people. And it's starting with family and mm. starting with faith. Mm. Family and faith. That's that's the beginning of your life support. That's that's a pretty good uh, way to begin. Right, Michelle? Definitely. Uh, actually, Taylor, when you said uh, that's part of my makeup, I'm like the caboodle. It's part of your caboodle. <laughs> now we're bringing it full circle. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle, for injecting some, yes, the thread of how we started this whole thing. Yeah. So, but, but Jen, you're right. You're right. Family and faith are a very big part of, you know, at least the way that's my view of things. And that's, that's how I 
perceive everything happening and what's going on. And and to this day, those are things that you know I, I still set incredibly. So I've been doing this uh, while I was in school. So that dates back to the early 1980s. And now it's some 42 years later and I'm still working. So uh, there has to be something positive, more than something. It's a, a lot has to do with those things, family and faith. And I, 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 th- that's a rock that I take for granted. But at the same time, I'm still very grateful for that. I'm still, you know, in my prayer every night at dinner, you know, I'm very grateful for all these things. Mm. So you, as Michelle listed, you have so many different areas of expertise. Um, well, we think about ventriloquism. Um, I watched your dry bar just recently. So Stand good. up, ventriloquism, music. I mean, you you hit all of it on that show. Um, when you got into ventriloquism, was there anybody particular that that you were able to kind of watch and learn from or that was just a good example to you as you were going along? You know, so ventriloquism for me, you know, everybody, so there was no, there were no classes. So, and uh, if you're really interested in all of this, you can read my book, which is titled Irreversible, um, spelled I-R-R, whatever the rest of it is. So, uh, Irreversible by Taylor Mason. I don't think it's that expensive. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get it in bookstores, et cetera, et cetera. And in the book, I talk about um, my parents, and I'm just going back in time. My yeah. parents met in radio in the late 1940s, early 1950s, after World War II, when the United States of America was going through a, a resurgence politically and financially, and the, uh, the baby boomer generation was just just beginning. And my parents met in radio television, had not yet taken over. My parents met at a radio station in Decatur, Illinois, called WSOY, because Decatur, Illinois is the soybean capital of the world. And this will be on a test after the podcast later on. So write it down. So my parents met at uh, WSOY. They were both from Illinois. My father had grown up on a farm in central Illinois. My mom had grown up in southern Illinois, where her mother was a teacher and her father was a worked at a mill, which I think that's like saying Kodak or hitch the horses. He worked at a, a mill where they ground flour and you know, mm. whatever. So, and the entertainment for both my father and my mother when they were little was listening to the radio because during the Great Depression, when they grew up, there was no television, no internet, etc. So everybody gathered around a big console radio player. In my father's home, it was in the living room. For my mother, she walked down the street to a relative's house where the neighborhood would gather around this big radio and listen to the Sanborn Chase Hour starring Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, who were the uh, premier ventriloquists of the day, kind of like Jeff Dunham is today or Terry Fader or all the ventriloquists you see on America's Got Talent. In those days, there was Edgar Bergen, a ventriloquist on the radio during the Great Depression. I always say there was more there was more more things that were depressing than just the economy. One of the, during the Great Depression, one of those things would be that a ventriloquist on the radio, yes, the number one show in the United States of America, which is depressing on levels that I don't want to get into during an upbeat podcast like this one. <laughs> so my parents would listen. We're both very big fans of Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen on the radio. 
So that was one of the things that kind of, um, they, and they were working radio anyway at this little tiny radio station in Decatur, Illinois, when radio was still a big deal, very local, and they had lots of listeners. It was before TV and broadcasting as we know it today. So when I was very little, I had a lift. I couldn't say the letter F. And I had um, a speech therapist for an aunt. And I had a grandmother who thought, and this is interesting, that you could overcome your speech impediment by learning ventriloquism. On television was a lady that I used to watch all the time when I was growing up named Sherry Lewis. Oh, I yeah. love her. She had a sock on her hand that was yeah. named for a, a farm animal, lamb chop, and another one named pork chop. So she had, or I'm sorry, Charlie horse, lamb chop and Charlie horse, pork chop being a joke guy. I, I, anyway, so Charlie Lewis would do this act with socks on her hand, one of them a horse named Charlie horse, the other one a lamb named lamb chop. And I started learning ventriloquism with a sock in my hand to imitate Sherry Lewis so that I wouldn't fade the letter F by using my tongue and my teeth. And that worked and set me off on doing a, a you know, a career in show business. So there's your full, you know, background of how and why I got started in ventriloquism. And we can read it all in your book. Yep. I, I read it. I tell, you know, I tell a story about it. I, when I was little, here's a good story for you. So when I was little, my father, and I think he did this as a bonding. Uh, my dad was a deacon in the church. And I think my father did this with me as a bonding. Uh, I'd really gotten into sports as a child particularly little league and basketball and baseball and football. My dad was not a big sports guy, but uh, ventriloquism, he knew. So he bought me this old plastic headed puppet that uh, had a slot jaw mouth, like classic ventriloquism, slot jaw mouth, but it was plastic, a molded head to look a little bit like Danny O'Day, who was uh, one of the ventriloquist figures for a uh, ventriloquist named Jimmy Nelson, another great ventriloquist who had sold this mock-up of his uh, Danny O'Day, which plastic-headed. You could buy him in the store, I think, like 60 bucks. There was a lot of money in those days. But it was very cheap. The body was a sock. The head was in the sock. You couldn't turn the head. It was just set with a slot jaw. And there was a pull string in the bottom of the neck of this thing. And you would pull the string. You would pull the string, and the slot mouth would open. My dad and I took the whole thing apart and he built, he built a little wooden body for me, right? Uh -huh. For this puppet with, uh, think a block and mortar, pestle and mortar thing and put a, uh, with a lathe, made a wooden bottom of the neck. He took the, the plastic head out of the sock of the original puppet and put like this, uh, a molded half circle that would fit into the, the, the mortal, the, the block and mortar so that his head could swivel, put a post in the bottom of that so I could grab it with my hand, took the string and put a, uh, like a, a, a sewer's, the, the, the thumb guard that a, sew, a seamstress would use, put that attached to the, the thread so I could grab the handle inside the body of this puppet and pull the string up and down the slot jaw would move and his head would now move. Wow. And we dressed it. You know, I made clothes. I learned how to sew from my grandmother. Made these little clothes for the for this puppet. We named it Ted, which my father thought was the funniest thing in the world. Because my dad was my dad didn't like Teddy Kennedy, so my dad thought I didn't know this. I was ten or nine. My dad thought, "Oh, we'll name him Ted." Ha 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 ha. <laughs> 
So I write all these jokes for my, you know, I've, I've never done anything. So I'm 10, 11, and I've got my puppets. So 12 years old now. And I've been practicing, right? Talking without moving my lip. I'm talking, no lip movement, okay? Wow. So I've learned how to talk without moving my lips. I'm gonna go to seventh grade and I've got homeroom. Never had a homeroom before. I've gone to this little grade school in Clarendon Hills, Illinois. Now I'm going to junior high. I'm gonna show everybody my new skill, ventriloquism. So I show up for the bus first day, Keith and Greg and Dean, three of my nemeses from grade school are a year older than I, they're waiting at the bus stop. I come walking up first day of school. This is before backpacks. I've got a bag with some, you know, and Keith, Dean and Greg say, hey, what's in the bag? I have no, no fear at all. I'm a ventriloquist, I say, and I'm doing a show today in homeroom. And Keith, Greg and Dean say, no, you're not. You're doing a show right here on the bus for us. So they have me going on the bus all the way back to where the emergency door is, you know, where it says, do not push the, the yes. So I stand there, Keith, Dean and Greg get everybody to watch. And I start doing my act, which is jokes like, uh, hi, Ted, how are you? I'm good, Taylor. <laughs> I, one of my jokes was, um, I, I would say to him, you know, you're so obnoxious, Ted. If you were my kid, I'd kill you. And the pup <laughs> says, if you were my dad, I'd kill myself. <laughs> so my act is dying. The death. I'm in the back and people are howling with laughter, but they're not laughing with the jokes. They're laughing at inopportune times. They're laughing at me, basically. And it's, you know, I was probably, so it's 1968. And just think about this, 1968. The, the country is in turmoil, the civil rights movement. They're rioting in the cities. You know, um, all the, music, the world of music is, you know, it's rock and roll. Motown has become very, very popular. Uh, and I'm doing an act now in the back of a school bus doing a ventriloquist puppet, which you couldn't get TV stations to do ventriloquism anymore. They, they were like, they, it had become a four letter word. So now here I am, like, <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, I'm gonna start doing ventriloquism now when it's the least popular art form on the planet. So I'm being heckled unmercifully. And it had such a, an effect on me that I did not touch that puppet again for like six or seven years. Didn't mm. touch, put it in a closet. You know, I'm never doing that again, right? I mean. Mm. It's, when you hear open mic comics, they went to their first open mic and just got heckled, mercy, or no laughs for five minutes and just flop sweat pouring down and they just die the death of deaths in show business terms. They feel miserable, right? Yeah. And they either, I'm gonna do this until I get it right or I'm never doing this again. Mm. So I was in the, I'm never doing this again. I put Ted in a closet, six years go by and check this out. So I'm at University of Illinois I'm a college football player. I get hurt badly. All right. This is the seventies and uh, I get hurt. My, I, I hurt my knee badly. I mean, it was on the AstroTurf, the old AstroTurf. Oh. And mm -hmm. I really, really, it was on a kickoff. And if you know anything about football, a guy hit my knee and my, my foot got stuck in the turf, mm. just blew the knee up. Okay. So now I'm in a hip to ankle cast. And I'm at a fraternity party, Sigma Chi fraternity in Champaign, Illinois. And at a dance, somebody gives me a microphone and says, you can't, you, you know, you can't dance, you can't do anything. Just MC the, the dance. 
So they give me a microphone. Actually, you guys, it wasn't even a mic. This is how low tech things were. This is like 1976. They gave me an ear an earphone, like what Michelle's wearing right now, those cup <laughs> earphone like that. Yes. But you plugged at that time the quarter inch cable into the microphone input in a sound system in 1976. And then you would talk into the, the earphone, but because it was so low tech, you, you had, hi everybody, you know, and yes, it amplified in the room. So yes. I'm jokes, I'm making fun of pe the way people dance. I'm making fun of our football team of which I was a member, but now I'm hurt so I can't play. So I'm just making fun of everything. College president, classes. Listen to this, a guy comes over during the party and says to me, this is, this is the moment of life. This was my open mic. This is the, ah, this is where the Lord opened the clouds. The angel came down, tapped me. This is it. This is your moment. A guy from another fraternity, Paul Zimmerman, who I knew from my hometown, said, hey, I'll give you $50 if you'll do this at our party next weekend. Oh, yes. Ah. Money. <laughs> so now... I go down there the week, a week later, I'm doing the same thing, but it's a different audience. It's not my fraternity. So my insults are, are you know, a little bit, they're um, rough around the edges, let's say. Mm -hmm. So I go home that night with my 50 bucks and I realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to need content. I can't just go out on the, on, and just off the top of my head, say mean things about people that I don't know. <laughs> yes. They're going to say, wait, we paid this guy to tell me that I'm fat. So I call my mother, mom, can you go in my closet in my room and send me Ted? So, you know, she goes and I'm sure she packed it like gently, you know, she, yes. like in a caboodle. She probably <laughs> and then sent it and I started doing parties at the University of Illinois and I was booked. I mean, I was booked and I, of course, then I had to write jokes. And uh, so now I had to become a professional and I would charge a couple hundred bucks and I would go do fraternity and sorority dances. And I would do the MC Mother's Day banquet at the, at the union. And uh, I started, I started doing um, shows. And while I was, I was to make long, long stories really short, I was the opening act for this touring company from a theater in Chicago called the Second City Theater in Chicago. So, yeah. uh, all right. So the Second City comes to the University of Illinois and I'm their opening act. And one of the, one of the cast members comes over to me and says, you know, um, you could probably be an actor. You should uh, audition for the Second City. I'd never take an acting class. So I immediately, as a fifth year senior at Illinois, I took an acting class <laughs> to get me ready, right? For my bigger, so, my big audition at the Second City Theater. I moved to Chicago uh, after school. I lived with an aunt. Again, the supportive family was everywhere. Mm -hmm. so I moved in with my aunt Artie, the speech therapist that I was talking about before. So I moved in with her, her husband, and their three kids. And I played a piano bar in Chicago for a while, which is a whole nother story. But while I'm doing that, I'm preparing for my big audition at the Second City Theater in Chicago. So I go in. And for comedy people will know what this is. You, you two will probably know, but for everybody else, let me explain the audition that I didn't know. And I knew nothing about acting really. I'd taken one acting class for a semester in college. I'm going to do for the audition, a classic improvisational 
method or audition piece called Five Through the Door, which is you walk through a door at the back of the stage, walk front stage, and you're a character, usually with at least one other person, and you're improvising. You're just coming up with, mm-hmm. they, give you a, they give you a premise. Um, you're a sales clerk. You're buying something at the store. Go. And then mm-hmm. your character, you do that for three minutes until the director says, enough, I can't take you. Go back. You go back through the door, and then you come back on stage as a completely different character. You do that five times. All right? So I have no idea what I'm doing. Here's my first one. And I'm with this woman, <laughs> a professional <laughs> actress. And uh, she says to me, have you auditioned here before? No, it's my first audition. She goes, oh, I, I've auditioned for a thousand things. She's a professional actress. Um, she says, we're we're going to do a five through the door. And this was my reaction. <laughs> she says, you know what five through the door is, don't you? I, and I said, I have no idea. I, have, I honestly don't even, I've never done anything like this before. And she started to cry. Because this is her, this is yes. her, right? This is so, yeah, so what do I do? Well, you have to come out with a different character. You know, and then you hear the director of the other room. All right, can we start today sometime? So she walks in, I walk in, and the director, who I didn't know, is a guy named Del Close, who is a uh, genius, I guess, and uh, an icon in the theater community, particularly in comedy and improvisation theater. So he's sitting in this theater, the Second City Theater. I walk on, and he says, uh, okay, you're buying something from her at the department store. Go. So I have no idea what to do. So this is what I did. This is my audition. I take my arm. And I drop it on a on a stool. We're improvising, and I say to the girl, and she's she's got tears in her eyes. I say, um, "It doesn't work," and she doesn't know what. And she goes, "What? My arm? It doesn't work. I came in here last week. I bought this arm. This arm right here. I bought this from you. Look at it. It's worthless. The fingers don't work. The arm doesn't work. Nothing works." And the poor girl, you know, the first I told her that I didn't know what I was doing. Now I'm telling her that my arm doesn't work. <laughs> she didn't know if I was being serious that I really was injured or this was part of the <laughs> so she don't know what to say. So, you know, I'm trying I'm trying to act, right? Don't you get it? Look at this thing. Look at this thing. It's worthless. It's worthless. You know, I, I'm a pitcher. I'm a baseball pitcher. This hasn't worked for a year. And then Del Close goes, Great, next. So I would just go off stage and I would just come back on. I'm thinking this is what I'm thinking. Oh, this is easy. I'll just come on. I'll just do all sorts of this stuff. And the second time he comes on, all right, what I want you to do, we're going to do a scene. You're a sports writer. You're, and he points at her, you're a political writer. I want you to uh, write, uh, I need a scene. You two are sitting together. You're on a plane. You're going to Washington, D.C. And you're going to talk about the, the, uh, what's going on in politically and in sports today. Go. So we both sit down. And I'm into sports. So I'm, I'm ready for this. Even though I was the, supposed to be the political guy. I'm like, uh, oh, so you're a baseball writer? And a woman at, the, at that moment walks into the theater and she shouts, is Taylor Mason here? You know, yeah, I'm right here. And she shouts, and then Del Close gives her, the director gives this woman a look of platinum hatred. And I, I thought maybe they were married the way he was looking at her. Yes. <laughs> so um, are you Taylor Mason? Yes, I am. And she said, I'm looking at your resume. Do you know how to read? Can you sight read music? Yes, ma'am. Get over here. So I walk over to this baby, this baby grand piano sitting right there in the theater. And she puts this piece of music in front of me. I will never forget this either. It's sheet music. It's a vamp. If you know what a vamp is, oompa, oompa, oompa. And yes. the lyric, the first lyric that I'm reading, this is my introduction to theater. The first lyric is, I hate liver. 
Liver makes me quiver. Liver makes me curl right up and die. It gives me hives, gives me scurvy, makes my stomach topsy-turvy. You know, um, I won't eat liver until the day I die. That's the, that's, I'm looking at that. And then I look at her. Are you serious? It's an E. Just play it. <laughs> I, you know, I play the, uh, doom-ba, 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 doom-ba. I play the, I play it. She goes, you're hired. $257 a week. I'm now the musical director for the touring company at the Second City Theater in Chicago. So now, wow. I, so now I've got an act. I have a puppet act, right? I've got a ventriloquist puppet act. Plus, now I'm working as a musical director for this theater company. And it's pretty fun, to be honest with you. I've been playing piano bars. And the guy that played the piano at the Second City Theater was a man named Fred Kaz, who is a musical genius and a jazz artist from the 1950s. And that's the kind of music he would play for the interludes and, you know, to play you know, like in between scenes. Yes. And help scenes along. He would play, he would put, you know, if it was a saw, if it was a scene on stage about uh, dogs, he would play how much is that dog in the window on the piano in a jazz or blues or rock format, right? Wow. I am from this a new generation, 60s and 70s. What are my musical influences? Billy Joel, Elton John, David Bowie. You know, so that's what I do when I'm in the touring company. No, no jazz. Forget that stuff. I'm playing, you know, I'm playing Betty and the Jets for a musical. And the cast, you know, they're really into it. And I'm having a great time. One night, I'm at the main theater at the Second City Theater. It's a Monday night playing the piano and I'm doing I'm having so much fun over the piano. I'm just playing all whatever. Um, I'm playing Lou Reed's Take a Walk on the Wild Side for one of the scenes. I can't remember what it was, but, um, and I'm singing over the piano. I'm thinking the riff from this Lou Reed song. There's a guy sitting in the back of the room and I go back and I'm, I'm whining, I'm complaining, right? It's, the, it's intermission. And I don't even know who this guy is. I, uh, man, you know, I'm, I'm stuck over at the piano the whole time here. Uh, I just feel like I could do so much more. You know, it's an equity scale pay. I'm glad to have the money. And this guy goes, well, I got a comedy club two doors away called Zany's. You come down to my club. I'll let you do whatever you want every night. Oh, oh. <laughs> once again, the clouds open. You know, the golden, the, the, the finger of the Lord comes down. <laughs> you know, I go, so I go down to this club. June, Michelle, Zany's Comedy Club, circa 1984. Mm. had been a strip joint. And this guy mm. had run the strip joint until he got married. And the strip business had become so seedy in a part of Chicago, the near north side, that was becoming very upscale. So he had to stop that and move into a new realm. What better than stand-up comedy, which was had become like the rock and roll of the 1980s. Mm -hmm. So I went down there. I'm, you know, again, what's my introduction to a comedy? I know nothing about comedy clubs. I'd gone to college. I'd gone to grad school, right? I'd gone to Northwestern University. And I have a master's degree. Then I worked at this, you know, this theater, which is a feeding ground for Saturday Night Live. Lots of, yes. and it's very nice. It's Second City Theater, very cool, you know, very upscale. Everybody's smart. Now I'm at Zany's Comedy Club. It's wow. a whole different you know, you've got like the conventioneers in Chicago, they all come out, 80 of them come to the comedy club. 
they're drinking like crazy. Mm-hmm. Last time I was here, this was a strip joint. Now there's <laughs> me, you know, I'm telling jokes about the difference between Cocoa Puffs and Conchoculant. You know that, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they were all sitting there. What, you know, how do you, what, who? Anyway, so they let me do whatever I wanted. This is like, I don't know, 1984, right around in there. And I just, I started working in that comedy club and I became the house MC there and seeing four or five, I guess five nights a week for, wow. I don't know, a year and a half, two years. So, and I met all these people. I met tons, agents, booking agents, the stars of the day, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno. They all came through town. They all, and they were playing comedy clubs at the time. And I met, I met and worked with all these people. And I'd expand my act because ventriloquist, you know, you're at this comedy club, you know, ventriloquist, I didn't yes. pay to see this, you know, or it's, it's Chicago. So it's more like, wait a minute. I, you want me to sit here and I'm going to watch some guy with a puppet on his hand. Now I'm from Berwyn and then Berwyn, we haven't been with puppet. You can't even book a puppet show for the kids. So here's my thing for you. Either you Get out of town. Get something. <laughs> they were brutal. So I had to come up with, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to come up with. Plus, on top of that, most of the acts, not all, I'll say 70% of the act were very blue. They were very blue. Mm-hmm. Me, you know, suburban. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> Went to college. Worked at a theater. I was a musical director. And so I don't, I'm not, I keep out of the bathroom, out of the bedroom, which in the beginning was kind of tough. But after a little while, what happened was I was so different from all the other acts that it worked. And then a good friend of mine, a comedian named Emo Phillips said to me, mm. this would be a great MC in New York city. So my wife got a, my wife, had, I met my wife at the second city theater in Chicago. She was a producer there and she got a job at MTV. So we moved to New York city and wow. I went right to this club called Catch Rising Star. And I think I auditioned, I think I went in and did an audition uh, and I didn't do any ventriloquism. Emo told me, don't do any puppets. Just don't, don't go on stage in New York City with a puppet. You, you, the, even if the audience laughs, the book, the, the owner's gonna say, I'm not doing this. I'm not, we're not, right. you know, it's not 1958. So I didn't, I just did stand up and then I became an MC at Catch Rising Star in New York City. And from that point, you know, I just, it, I just have worked. I've never looked back. I just have, been very blessed and i've just had and the problem for me is like for you two and everybody else is content coming up with stuff that is and this is my mantra lord help me um i have to be funny if i can't be funny i have to be entertaining okay i'm not entertaining or i'm funny i'll be informative okay so um if i can't be funny if i can't be entertaining if i can't be informative then i guess i'll never be asked to go on this podcast. So uh, yes. <laughs> that, that, that was and is my mantra. And that's kind of how I've worked for my entire, and you know, writing new jokes, coming up with new content. And it's very similar for you two. I don't know how you do a podcast like this. You know, I know you've done what, 30 or 40 of these already. So- 70 some. Oh my gosh. See, I don't know how you do that because you have to, obviously you have to have guests in my experience with these is you have to have a guest who's really dynamic and is either funny. And if he's not funny, then we hope he's entertaining. And if he or she is not funny or entertaining, maybe they'll be informative. And yeah. It's Taylor Mason. 
and maybe it's time we cut. <laughs> well, you're still looking for the perfect guest. So you're right. You're right. You're so close. Yeah. I can feel that, Michelle. I felt that. I felt that. <laughs> so close. <laughs> well, I think you've, you've definitely been all of that. You've been funny. You've been entertaining. You've been, been informative and you definitely have been um, the epitome of laugh support. Just thinking about it, 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 the journey that you've shared with us. And I know that's just a little snippet, right? Of, of where all you've been and the people oh, have been there for you. you know what? And here's what's so interesting about that, Joan. And okay. So I've done so let's go, if we go back in time to the 1980s, I would do, I did this long rock opera, which, where I took the Flintstones theme song. It's a cartoon for those of you, for the millennials or whoever's yes. listening. Yes. The Flintstones had a the classic vitamins, television right? series. Oh. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, they're a place right out of history. So I took that theme song from my piano bar days and my second city days, and I juxtaposed it with doing it a la Elton John, Billy Joel, the Rolling mm. Stones, Helen Reddy, whoever I, whoever I would hear on the radio, I would just, and then I, would, I made up words. And that, that, that thing, that little, that little rock opera that started off as just doing one, just playing the song. And then I think I did it as like a reggae. And then, you know, I did all the classic musician. How, how many times can I make this song different? And then I just started putting different musicians into it. And that became like a rock opera and it was, it became like a 20 minute routine. And here's my point. So there, there'll be people today. I'll be playing, this just happened. I'll be playing a gig somewhere and somebody will come up to me and say, you know, we drove 80 miles and we wanted to see the Flintstones. I told my wife all about, and my mm. kids all about, that was my favorite bit and you didn't even do it. Oh. oh. Well, you know, I'm really sorry, but that was 1986, <laughs> you know, 2023. <laughs> well, you know, you did something really good when it stuck for that many years and somebody came all that way yeah. to see you doing that. But but we've learned definitely that, that your parents, wow, what an amazing uh, laugh support they've been to you from, and we found that a lot of our guests, their parents were creative people. Imagining your your dad designing that puppet for you, the engineering and creative mind that it took for that, to have an aunt who is supportive to you, to have a mom that you could call and go, bring me Ted, you know? That's no, absolutely no. amazing. But and I think and one to thing- top that off, To top that off too, and yes, all of that. And I'm, I'm you know, thank you. I'm so grateful, but, the people that still come out to pay to see me, yes. you know, that, that remember stuff from 40 years ago or 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago, or even 10 weeks ago, the people that, that come back and pay the, you know, cause some of these places charge, you play a theater nowadays, it's like 45, 50 bucks per mm -hmm. person, you yeah. know, to come so, and they pay the fee and they pay the, and they come in and they, they buy drinks at the bar or they buy, they go to the concession stand and they buy popcorn. And, they're great. And, and I don't, I don't listen, I don't take any of that for granted. So, but you're right, Jim. Yeah. And, you know, and I tell you the, the one thing, uh, Taylor, that I think that other comics from, you know, my experience and Michelle and I talk to different comics and different people. And when your name is brought up, you are somebody that people uh, just have such a high level of respect for oh, um, yes. that, you know, you have a reputation for being very kind. Just watching your dry bar the other day, I saw you do something that um, that I've never seen another comic do on dry bar anyway, is that you, you took time 
to mention, I believe the sound, the person in the sound booth or someone of, of that nature who doesn't normally, and you know, on these comedy, comedy specials, people have a valuable time and, you know, real estate, right? And you took a bit of that real estate and you put the spotlight on somebody else. And so um, I just wanted you to know that Michelle and I, as we were talking about you and people who uh, have definitely spent time with you. That's, that's the impression people get that you've been an amazing laugh support to other people. And by agreeing to come on here, you have definitely been laugh support to myself and Michelle. Now, Michelle's been scrolling across the bottom that if they want to find Taylor Mason, you can go to taylormason.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-M-A-S-O-N.com, taylormason.com. And then also um, he mentioned his book, Irreversible by Taylor Mason. Um, you clearly have amazing stories. You've had a fantastic journey. So I want to encourage our guests to check out Irreversible by Taylor Mason. And friends, we are um, we are right now broadcasting on uh, a pretty much all major platforms. So if you're listening to our podcast and you'd like to watch our po podcast, you can actually see us on the Creative Motion Network, Roku TV, and on our YouTube channel. So Taylor and Michelle, Michelle, just yeah. bring something home here for me. What an amazing interview. Okay. Yes. 100%. And I thought, oh, Berwyn, did my uncles come watch you like that? Because when you were like, oh, you know, the Berwyn, I'm like, oh my gosh. So, because I grew up outside of Chicago in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And um, so everything you listed and everything you talked about, I just, I need to know, um, did you ever go to the fudge pot? I never did. Oh, <gasps> about it. Everybody, look, everybody knows about the Pudge Pot. You know, if you're from Chicago, if you're from the South Side or the Southwest Side, you've probably been to the Fudge Pot. It's over yeah. there right between Berwyn and Cicero. And uh, <laughs> used to be. <laughs> it's on Wells Street. It's like right down the street from where you were working all the time. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to go to Chicago, you got to visit the Fudge Pot because it has the best caramel apples ever. And the fudge and the chocolate, it's made right there in a copper pot. I know it's not comedy, but it's food. It's close. It's its so close. <laughs> they go together. They yeah, go yeah, together. Goes, yeah. Yeah. I, I love everything. Um, now, when when you are creating your characters, did any um, the the um, the characters that you were creating, did any of it come from people that you've come across or is it just another thing you're like, oh, uh, you just like, how did you come up with your with your characters? Like, because you have a, a pork chop or, or a pig. Right? I've, got, I've got a pig named Paco uh, who speaks Spanish. My family, I grew up in a, my family, my uncle Art had a, a birth to slaughter hog operation in Grand Ridge, Illinois. Uh, Romeo, the male uh, muse, whatever you want to call, is based on every middle act I've ever worked with, with in a comedy club. <laughs> Male, middle act, uh, gender male. So that's <laughs> Romeo. Uh, let's see. There's another pig named named Ramon, who Remember. is very shy and uh, scared to death of everything, mostly of being eaten. He's a pig. There's a penguin who is bitter and angry because he's a bird, but he can't use his wings. Mm. So how unfair is that? But during my program, what I usually do is have a person come up out of the audience and help uh, the penguin move his wings and fly and walk around and do stuff. So uh, he, he kind of liked my career. He is helped by somebody buoyantly helping him 
you know, to achieve his goals. Uh, what else? A, a lot of times I, I bring people up out of the audience and I give them my ventriloquist figures, which is blasphemer in the ventriloquist community. But uh, I, a lot of times I'll bring people up out of the audience and I'll let them manipulate or work with the puppets while I try to fit the words into the puppet's mouth. And so, you know, I probably, and I had a children's TV show called Taylor's Attic. I think there were probably 20 uh, puppets on that. So I, I don't know, I've created hundreds over the years of puppets. Um, and, but I boiled it down to the essentials right now that yeah. I use in my live performances. Okay. So can we find Taylor's Attic on YouTube somewhere? I think so. I think, I, I think that the uh, Christmas episode is on there. That's another podcast to talk about Taylor's Attic. That was a lot of fun met some great people and worked with that show. We actually won a local Emmy award. Um, so it was a lot of fun, but that's, that's another podcast. Okay, good. Cause yes. I have a grandbaby now and I'm like, okay, here's a oh, show you yeah. can watch. So yes. like, Tilly's Okay, cool, 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 cool. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. and joining us today. We mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Uh, so informative. And again, check out taylormason.com. You can find out, does it also post on there um, like where you're performing? Because I know like you do a lot of cruises and stuff. I do a lot of work for, actually I work for Disney and I work a lot for Disney cruises. And uh, yeah, my schedule is usually posted on there. Um, after the pandemic, I stopped posting stuff because people just got so, you know, I, people are very nice, but people also if stuff falls out or something happens and I saw, I I don't actually, I think all that's on there right now are Disney cruises and my uh, personal appearances, Mm -hmm. I think. But for example, tomorrow I'm going to, to Branson, Missouri. I don't think that's on there, but you can find, you can get a good feel for my schedule. Yeah. At taylormason.com. Thank you so much for being here with us. I know you have places to go, people to see things to do, puppets to talk and, and maybe a caboodle to back. We don't know. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Well, y'all, that's going to be it for this episode of the Laugh Support Podcast. As I always tell you, Jesus and Junebug loves you. And Michelle, close it out. Uh, How do billboards communicate? Do you guys, anybody know? Anybody know? (laughs) No, Michelle. (laughs) Through sign language. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.